The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 96 of the Squawk Ident Podcast, recorded on Wednesday, December 1st, 2021, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, Rob D and I discuss unstable approaches, special qualifications airports, zero hour, mountainous airports, and we take a look back at 1953 and American Airlines' launch of the DC-7 on the New York to Los Angeles route. That's a grand uh... C-517CR, we're in the hold shot position uh, uh, behind the jet. Uh, uh, the tower has asked us to talk to you to get us back to instructions. Sorry about that, I don't think he had his coffee this morning. Runway 23 at Hotel, taxi via Alpha and Hotel. You can contact them holding short of Runway 23 at Hotel. Uh, 23 at Hotel and we'll call the tower at that point in time. Thank you, sir. Before we push off the gate today, I wanted to say thank you again to Captain David Ortiz for honoring me on Flight 95, Correcting Nicely. His journey was absolutely fantastic, and we look forward to hearing about his upcoming water cannon salute. Thanks again, Captain Ortiz. We also want to salute another podcast. Yeah, that's right. On Friday, December 3rd, 2021, the Airline Pilot Guy podcast, also known as APG, will be celebrating their 500th episode. Wow. 500. That's amazing. To find out more about their show, you can visit them at their website at airlinepilotguy.com. Congratulations, Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, Captain Rick, and Liz. Cheers, y'all. The Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 96 of the Squawk I Didn't Podcast is officially underway. Assisting at the controls of today's flight is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the ING Club, an AMP, an avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his podcast studio on the top floor of his Flower Mound, Texas home, where he's putting the whoop-ass back in the can. Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, Tony. It's good to be back on the show again. Uh, getting in the holiday spirit. Yeah. Over here in Texas. Yeah. So you were, you were texting me uh, yesterday that you had a couple issues recently on a flight and you had to bust up, open yeah. a can of whoop-ass. What, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the I obviously, uh, you know, end of the story. I, I we didn't get involved in the co- you know from the cockpit crew, other than you know making the final say whether yay or nay that these uh, passengers should travel with us. But apparently, uh, we were up at the gate, and the agent um, pointed out two individuals looked like a 
couple in their mid thirties that was giving the agent a hard time about wearing their um, federally mandated face masks mm-hmm. in the airport. Um, the uh, the agents had to repeatedly tell them that they have to put their face mask on. So they weren't eating, they weren't drinking anything. And, uh, you know, they just kind of walking around without a face mask. Um, and they had a couple of the passengers had a couple of, uh, you know, snarky remarks to the agent. And the agent said she had to tell them about five times, oh. um, including <laughs> when they were boarding the aircraft. So that should have been, you know, probably the fifth red flag. Um, anyway, uh, they allowed them to go down the jet bridge. And then, of course, as they enter the airplane, the you know, the the, uh, the uh, flight attendants had to repeat, repeatedly tell them to put on their mask and they were giving them snarky remarks as they were boarding. And immediately the flight attendant, you know, looked at us in the cock, got our attention in the cockpit and said, hey, you know, we got two passengers are borderline noncompliant. Mm. And we're like, yeah, OK, uh, we heard about them up in the gate area. <laughs> so keep us keep us advised. So uh, the boarding process went on. And of course, right before uh, we close the door, you know, the flight attendants go through the uh, cabin and do their safety checks and everything. And obviously it's a mass compliance check at that point too. And again, they had a remind, uh, they, ha- they encounter them without the mask on. I mean, apparently they totally would just take it off. I mean, it wasn't like they would wear it around their neck or chin. I mean, they were just, you know, it was just dangling from their ear the whole time. Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, um, they asked them again to put it on. More snarky remarks from them. I don't know how many how many snarky remarks they had in their bag, but um, apparently the uh, the flight attendant said, "You know, we can't do this the whole flight." Right. So they came back up to the cockpit and uh, talked with us about it, and they said, "Well, you know, collectively as a cabin crew, we don't want them on the flight because that's something we're going to have to deal with." And um, so we were like, okay, sounds good. Yeah, I agree. Let's take them off. So uh, call the uh, gate agent and, of course, our uh, uh, law enforcement just in case. <laughs> and um, we had them removed. And, you know, surprisingly, they, they you know, got up and got off the airplane without any uh, resistance or anything like that. Or yeah. I'm sure there was a couple choice words said, but, you know, hey. That's uh, that's the world we're living in right now in the airline environment. Uh, you got to wear your mask. Um, yeah. And and I and I really it was really uh, I mean I guess I didn't didn't feel too bad because obviously these people were looking for looking for pro- I don't know if they were out looking for problems but they weren't you know quite cooperating or you know it didn't seem like they wanted to get to Dallas that easy because we were the last <laughs> flight that night out of Chicago so I'm sure they oh uh, even. They wow. had to spend the night in Chicago on their own dime because that's something that, you know, the the, the airline's not going to pay for. Right. But anyway, that was a that was a, the end of an exciting four day trip that I flew with a, a great captain. We've had a, we had a couple of uh, ecam actions to complete in on one of the flights, which it was kind of kind of comical because the uh, one of the uh, the, the minor mechanical problems we had in flight was just the uh, center transfer pump, transfer fuel transfer pump mm-hmm. um, failed. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the two pumps was uh, pumping in, pumping fuel just to one tank instead of, you know, two, both pumps pumping into, you know, left and the right tank. Uh-huh. So uh, basically we were 
you know, feeding out of one tank faster than the other. And, uh, but the, uh, the ECAM, um, drove them into the book and it, and it literally took them 45 minutes to get through, even though it was really simple, but it, it, he, he, uh, went through the uh, ECAM actions and then obviously uh, checked for follow-ups in the uh, QRH mm-hmm. and everything. And, and he was, uh, he was like, man, I don't know if what, what they want us to do with this airplane, because, you know, if we, we continue on to Chicago, that's fine, but this plane's going to be dead in the water when we get there. Yeah. Um, and I, and I kind of was like, well, what's the alternative, you know, would we just turn back? I mean, basically you're just handling the, uh, the system as if it was a manual fuel tra- field transfer at that right. point, you know, you got to turn on the transfer pumps and every, turn on the, uh, cross, cross feed valve. Yeah turn off the fuel pumps in the, on the low side and feed out of the high side, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's standard ops on a Boeing 737. <laughs> right. Cause, cause right. it's not automatic, but anyway, um, uh, he did, he did the right thing though. He called MOC and, uh, through the, through the dispatcher and they talked about it. This was, this has been a continuing problem with this airplane and, and they did the right thing. They finally got it back on placard cause it was on a placard before. Uh, and uh but the but the but the situation developed though that this placard was um I probably shouldn't have divulged too much information about this but the uh, placard was they opened it back up on the original write up placard so which it was a 10 day category C maintenance thing and basically for those who are listening category C is just the amount of days or time that they maintenance has to uh repair this item on the aircraft mm-hmm. before it became aircraft is grounded until they fix it yeah so it had been 10 days um since that original write-up so that plane if it did not land at a maintenance base by midnight that night the plane would turn into a pumpkin, pumpkin yeah and we were due to land in dallas at eleven thirty if we stayed on schedule mm-hmm. so keep in mind we did have that passenger disturbance at the gate mm-hmm. and maintenance had to come out and placard replacard uh you know the uh the ecam thing which added time to our you know departure and that was one of the things that he was concerned about i said if you guys are going to do this you all need to be johnny on the spot like at the gate when we pull in because you know knowing knowing how long the paperwork stuff can last um you know this can drive us into a delay that you know the intentions are good, but we're not gonna be able to meet the timeline. So, so were you, you weren't going to be done in Chicago. You no. had intention. So it was uh, basically you were landing in Chicago. You had a turn time and then you were going to be air. You were going to be pushing off the gate at, you said 1130 PM. So that, that, made- well, yeah, we were going to push off the gate at like, it was like 1030. Oh, okay. And so, so now with the delay, like the Dallas. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, you could have potentially, if it went into that ca- next calendar day, that yep. MEL category of 10 days would have now been exceeded, therefore grounding the airplane exactly. until the repair is made. Yeah, to be clear, we would have had to be on the ground in Dallas by midnight, basically 11.59 p.m. that night, 12 o'clock oh, okay. a.m., with the plane would turn into a pumpkin. Right. So, and then we would have, you know, legally, uh, illegally, you know, violated an FAR. So I anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was our day. We were like, damn it. We don't need any more delays. Let's go. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> this is on the go home leg, right? 
Of course, yeah, it was the very last yeah. flight of the trip. So, That's you the know, way we're looking works. at each other. <laughs> and I'm looking at the captain. The captain was a great guy. He's he's a 30-year veteran of the company. And um, Air Force, he's also an Air Force veteran. So I salute you to that, sir. That was awesome. Um, but he was a great guy. He, he, he was on a uh, premium trip. So basically, uh, he was getting paid time and a half to, to work the trip. And, and I was just joking because I was a pilot flying on, on that leg when, when the uh, ECAM popped up and he had to go into the books and everything. I'm looking at him laughing. And I'm like, you're working hard for your money today, sir. You know? <laughs> you know, all I am is like, I'm just flying the airplane on autopilot, of mm -hmm. course, and uh, answering the radios. And uh, it was just, you know, it's just like, a, you know, I should have just busted out the popcorn in a soda and just watch him bubble through the books. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good yeah. stuff. Hey, you're doing that. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Great job. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if our <laughs> listeners know, whenever uh, the pilot monitoring has to get into the books uh, for any troubleshooting or, or QRH procedures and stuff, it gets really busy for them. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're, they're trying to, they're, they're, their focus now is to fix the airplane or, um, you know, stabilize the problem. Um, mm -hmm. But they still have to remain engaged in the flight operation in case, uh, you know, they need to intervene. So it, it can get pretty busy for them, you know, especially when they're trying to interpret interpret what the uh, book is trying to tell them, trying to tell them to do. Yeah. If it's uh, all the logic branches of the procedures. Yeah. 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 Now, now that's a fantastic story, and and you now for those listeners out there that might not be, you know, flying regularly f uh, for an airline operation, you know, you've raised a lot of cool terms and acronyms. So MEL, yeah. minimum equipment list. Now, if yeah. If uh, the airplane, something goes wrong with the airplane, you know, the airplane needs to be airworthy. It is certificated by the FAA that the airplane is airworthy. So when the airplane, something goes wrong, a light bulb, a trim piece, uh, you know, something Coffee comes pot. up. pot. Yeah. Anything, uh, something in the cockpit, a warning flag, uh, you get an ECAM message. And we talked about this. Electronic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I forget that. Centralized. Because it's, yeah. um, alerting system uh, or, or i'm gonna find messages. it now while, oh, you're, while you're talking about it you know because we just say ecam <laughs> well but anyway yeah. so this this it pops up on one of the center displays on the flight deck and so immediately the pilot who was determined to be flying the airplane or the pilot flying the pf uh they'll say my aircraft my radios and then the pilot monitoring the pilot not flying the airplane at the time whether that's the fo or the captain it doesn't matter just matters who is going to be monitoring that leg. Their job is to monitor, enunciate whatever is going on. And so they, in that, in your case, it would have been a center pump failure, ECAM message. And then the captain then determines, okay, you're flying. So why don't you continue to fly, work the radios, and I will handle the checklist. So they'll go into, you said QRH. It's another term, quick reference handbook. So each pilot is required to carry with them, at least over at Legacy Airlines, a little book. It's like a one and a half or two inch binder. And it has all these uh, major messages that can come up that are important on your ECAM. So you go through, you look up, you know, center pump failure, and it tells you uh, through a tree, um, logic tree branches, okay, if this is the condition, do this, else do this, or Vice versa. So it, it takes a while to read through the checklist sometimes and determine, all right, what is our current situation? And then once you've determined your current situation, there's an action that you must follow 
whether that's turn off this pump or turn this you know selector to here or there and then the pilot flying should be concentrating on flying the airplane talking on the radios and also monitoring what the pilot monitoring is doing so that both pilots are in the loop and this is where crew communication crm threat and error management this is why it's so important because on these highly task saturated scenarios it's important to open up the communication between the two pilots because you're both very busy doing stuff that you're not nor- non-normal, right? And yep. if you have a good communication set and you're good at the threat and error management, it, it, the checklist will go by quick and you're going to go through yep. everything and, and it'll be a successful outcome. If both pilots are kind of on doing their own thing and not really cross-communicating or cross-communicating too much, creating task saturation, that could be a problem. So Definitely. it sounds like you handled yourself as did your captain very well. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for that story because, you know, we go through these kind of things in the simulator all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're not a big deal, you know? No. That's why we have yeah. double and triple redundancy yeah. on these airplanes is so that, yeah. you know, when these things happen, that we're yeah. prepared. Now, you, you yeah. looked it up. What did it say? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Electronic centralized aircraft Centralized. Monitor. <laughs> well, the ECAM is in the center monitor display. Yeah. Centralized, electronic it. centralized aircraft monitoring. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I'll remember it from yeah. now on. Yeah. So you I had an exciting so. trip. You had, you know, and it's a shame that, that now here we are almost two years into this. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think it's two years now, isn't it? November yeah. 2019 yeah. to now is when it first started That's and we started right. hearing about it. Um, and we're still dealing with this. Now, I get the mask thing, man. I get it. I hate wearing yeah. that damn thing. I know. I know we'll it's do. paper and it's, <laughs> it's what's it doing? <laughs> you know, it's keeping my bad yeah. breath in my, in my mask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never purchased so many mints. <laughs> <laughs> I've never purchased so many mints in my life. Um, but, you know, I, I, I got to say, if the rules are where it when you're in the airplane in cl- close proximity in a pressurized tube, you know, at altitude with a hundred of your strangers, come on, just, just do it or yeah. stay home, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's the thing where I was kind of, we were kind of heck talking about and joking about. I'm like, you know, we're like, you, you bought a ticket, an airline ticket, you know, and you're going on a, an airplane, you know, that is the rule. That is a regulation. You know, if you, if you weren't going to comply, if you think you're going to get, be able to get away with it, um, you know, that, that you're, first of all, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, it's not going to happen. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're go, you have to do it. If you're going to, if you're going to travel with any airline, you're going to have to have, have that. Yeah. And any public transfer federal law. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, we have to, we have to kind of at least public, but, play the yeah. game. You know? Yeah. But yeah, it's I've had a, public. I had a kind of a, an interesting trip as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did a, a two-day last week um, since the last podcast. I did a two-day trip, and it was Ontario to Dallas on day one, and then Dallas to Palm Springs. A day trip. It was nice. The weather was good. Of course, it had the three-hour, what we call line holder Airport. reserve in Dallas. You know, I didn't get reassigned. I actually was doing some editing. I was editing... Uh, Flight 95, actually, the 95th episode. Uh, I found a little secret little hideaway crew room 
in the A gates over there in the A terminal, as many of us know. Yeah, the high A's, that's a great place legacy. to go. Yep, yep. yep. It's kind of quiet. There's a place you can plug in with the tables, and I just sat there, and for about an hour and a half, yep. I was doing a little editing. Yep. And then I thought, okay, time to go. So I went and grabbed a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and headed out to the airplane. And I thought, this, yeah, it's nice, Palm Springs. I haven't been in Palm Springs in a long time. I Probably 10 years. Really? Yeah. And, and so you mean you haven't been there as a as a as a pilot flying in, or correct. just haven't been there. Or well, I've been into the, the town, but I haven't been to the okay. airport in a long time. I see. Yeah. Um, and it's a secret little thing. Uh, if yeah. you're if you're commuting, or you're traveling, and the flight to Los Angeles or the flight to Ontario or Burbank, there's like there's no way I can get on there. It's full. It's overbooked. Whatever. Palm Springs is a great little hideaway. I mean, you yeah. have to rent a car and drop it off, you know, at your airport or whatever you park yeah. your car. But man, Palm Springs is a great little airport. However, you know what I like about that airport? Yeah. Not to interrupt real quick, oh, but it's open. Like you're not actually inside. It's like you're in Hawaii. Yeah. Most of the airport. Yeah. You're outside uh, walking around. You know, there's no walls. <laughs> She's got a little sunshade and or, you know, rain shade if it ever rains there. Yeah. Anyway, if, cool. <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. At point uh, two five inches a year. Every <laughs> <laughs> <A> year. <laughs> on so, that side of the mountain. Yeah. And now Palm Springs is, is a great little airport. And my captain asked me before we departed. I had flown with this captain before, and, and he says, "Hey, have yeah. you been to Palm Springs? Uh, and not with not with Legacy. And it's been it's been a long time, long long time." And he goes, "Well, I've never." flown in there so okay. why don't i take the leg out from ontario to dallas and you fly the leg into palm springs so i'm like sure okay you know yeah so i did my due diligence i, I looked at all the required documents now right. what makes palm springs different is that it is surrounded with extremely high terrain sure and is. you know you look at your typical approach plate for palm springs we're looking at kpsp and we're looking at our, our Jeppesons and the MSA, which is around the thermal VOR, okay? The MSA around thermal to the west is 12,100 feet. To the southeast, it's 7,900 feet. And to the northeast, 6,900 feet. So yep. pretty high terrain. Now you're thinking, well, what's the elevation of the airport? <laughs> 400 something, I think. 451 feet. Yeah. So that is rising, rapidly rising terrain surrounding right. the airport. And if you yeah. look at the grid moras. Yeah, the grid moras are even higher. Those are impressive. 13.1 around Palm Springs. And then yeah. just to the north is 13.7. Yeah. So yeah. this airport is classified as a special qualification airport. Now, for those listeners that may have not heard that before, uh, and I'm sure most of you have at some point, especially flying in a mountainous area. Just to give you an idea of how high the terrain is in the area, uh -huh. if you zoom into your, uh, you know, just put in like a VFR chart or yeah. low IFR and you turn on your uh, fixes on the, on the JEP FD Pro. Okay. And you zoom out about 17 miles 17 18 miles to the northwest it's about 122 uh degree okay a 302 radial 302 radial actually that's got that wrong too yeah it's about three 302 radial off the uh, airport uh-huh there is a fix called moron yep 
and there's there's a story behind that fix. So uh, the the runways are in that general direction. Yeah. You know, the, to the north, they depart to the northwest. Well, uh, an airplane departed at nighttime off the runway to the northwest was at three zero left, I think, and um, three one left mm -hmm. departed and kept going straight. Didn't oh. climb very fast and moronically <laughs> crashed into the mountaintop there. So they named that one Moron. Wow. <laughs> See, this is back. This must have been uh, something named by the FAA a while ago because <laughs> that would not fly nowadays. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's at least the story I heard, and that's what I'm sticking with. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Sarah Airports, we're, let, let's look yeah. at this. Now, what is a special qualification airport? All airline pilots have been trained in the flight simulator and as part of their training and their type certification, they are signed off at a Sarah airport. At the end of each of your recurrent trainings, you you have to do at the on the last day, you do what's called, or at least at Legacy, they call it RAD um, or recurrent mm -hmm. like advanced maneuvers demonstration. And you do controlled flight into terrain demonstration, uh, wind shear demonstration and uh, mountainous area um, so that kind of logs you off. It's usually at one of these special qualification airports. So that gives you your currency for, for that. So now you're qualified. All pilots, left, right seat, doesn't matter. You're qualified. Mm -hmm. If you fly for a 121 carrier and they have like a typical AQP program. But what these airports, the reason that they are special qualifications are usually because they're either in mountainous terrain or they're surrounded by mountainous terrain. So a lot of, a lot of airports like in... Uh, Eagle County, Colorado, Guadalajara, Mexico, uh, Gunnison County, Colorado, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, these are all these kind of airports, and, but not always surrounded by mountainous terrain. I mean, Key West, Florida happens to be a special qualification airport. Well, right. Palm Springs is one of these airports. So when you look at your charts, at least for our company, we have what's called the pictorial pages. So you're, you're required to have looked at the, the pictorial pages as a part of your briefing. So we did all that. And we departed out of Dallas as soon as we got to cruise after everything settled and we had our crew meal. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we started looking at all these pages again to get it fresh in our mind. There's also a, a special single engine procedure or engine out procedure. So in, in the event of a go around or a missed approach with a degraded performance, or single engine, you don't just fly straight out and clean up at acceleration altitude and right. continue and your climb. And end up hitting moron. You'll end up hitting moron, <laughs> right. So <laughs> so you have to follow what the engineers over at Legacy Airlines have determined the proper procedure. Some of these are quite complicated and others are quite simple with uh, as soon as you hit a certain DME from a fix, then you make a, a turn to a certain heading and same thing, you clean up at acceleration altitude, declare the emergency and, and do what you got to do. So let's bring it back to the Palm Springs approach. We discussed and briefed the arrival. We discussed and briefed the fact that we were going to be landing on the runway visual runway one, three, right. Now one, three, right is a little tricky because it's surrounded by mountains in that direction. And you have to, perform this this RNAV visual approach 
and nail these altitudes because if you're high, it's going to be really hard to get down. Now, anyone that's flown yeah. an Airbus knows that it is a clean wing, meaning yeah. you go flight idle at altitude. If you're trying to slow down, even at level altitude, it's hard to do. You have to stay well ahead of the aircraft. Yeah. Now, I, I got some hours behind my belt now, a couple of years, and, uh, and so did the captain. And we briefed this and we're like, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is what's going to happen. You know, full flaps, landing. It's a short runway with a displaced threshold. We'll get into that. And so we briefed it. We we're ready to go. And here we are putzing along at 11,000 feet with LA Center. Now, LA Center was busy. It was a busy afternoon for them. And I started looking at this arrival and I said, you know, Captain, can you ask for lower? We're way too high, man. And he says, okay, yeah, no problem. So we're at 11,000 feet. If you look at the S-Bone 01 arrival uh, on airnav.com, you can look it up. Uh, you can download them to your laptop. When you look at these arrivals, uh, you're, you want to get down pretty quick. Now, you have maximum authorized altitudes on these airways, and you also have minimum terrain altitudes on these airways. So you got to look at the chart very carefully. We were still at 11,000 feet at Ube or Ubabi, however you say it. That's pretty high. Yeah. You know? Wow. And we kind of anticipated this. So LA's, LA Center said, well, I can get you to 8,000, but I'm still <laughs> waiting on the handoff. So I yeah. immediately started to descend the aircraft to 8,000, start to slow the aircraft down. I got the first notch of flaps out there. So we're at flaps one, slowing the airplane down close to, I think it was 220 knots or 210, can't recall. But we definitely started slowing the aircraft down because we anticipated, hey, they're leaving us high. If we just yeah. leave the airplane clean and pitch it over, it's going to want to speed up on us. It's a very yeah. clean wing. So even at 8,000, we leveled off and I said, oh, we, we really, we need to get lower. Now we're crossing the S-Bono, which is actually the one of the first fixes on this RNAV visual. And we're crossing it, and we're still descending. Uh, and I think at that point, at like 9,000 feet, still descending to 8,000 feet. And I'm starting to slow the aircraft down even more. And yeah. finally, SoCal says, okay, you're cleared the RNAV visual runway 13. So I throw in the lowest altitude possible, which is Nootke at 1,700 feet. Mm -hmm. Mind you, we had about 25 miles to lose. To slow down and get down. To slow yeah. down, get configured, and lose about 8,000 feet. And about, sounds like about 100 knots. Or and 100 knots. 90, 100 knots, yeah. So it was my first thing I called for. Gear oh, down. Gear down. Let's get yeah. those rubber Dangle speed brakes out. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> so we get the, we get the, uh, the gear out. I got the flaps too. We're basically at toe tav. You're you're pretty close to downwind, midfield downwind. Mm -hmm. And I got flaps three in there, flaps full. Now we're fully configured, and I'm trying my best to get this airplane slowed down in order to go right. down. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work out. We're really high. We're supposed to be somewhere around 4,000 feet at Totav. I think we're at 
7,000 feet. Yep. It's not far from the airport. <laughs> so I did everything I could. I tried to, to widen it out, but you can't white out too much because you have a 8,000 foot mountain within a few miles of you. <laughs> so, right. and plus the winds were howling and we had a tailwind in that situation as well on the downwind. And as I turned final, you're supposed to be at uh, what's Nootke, 1,700 feet at final, about 1,500 feet off the deck. Yep. I think I was at 4,000. Wow. And <laughs> I even did a little S-turn. And uh, I said, Captain, I, I'm going to keep trying until we get to 1,000 feet. But if it's – well, this is probably going to end up in a go-around. He's like, yeah, keep trying. I, I think you can make it. Yeah. And <laughs> Long story short, uh, with the huge displaced threshold, um, thought maybe this will work mm -hmm. out, but no, there's no way. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do more than a thousand feet per minute descent below a thousand feet. Uh, and if you do the, the vertical speed indicator actually turns Amber and it turned Amber and he's like, watch your, watch your descent rate. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Let's do, let's do a go around. So we said, go around Toga. He said, Toga set. I said, go around climb and he looked at it and verified it climb set i said go around flaps and he went up one notch of flaps right go around flaps positive rate gear up gear up gear up and then the tower like as soon as i started to go around the tower's like uh legacy go around <laughs> even the tower <laughs> was like uh yeah it's not gonna, yeah, gonna we're it. already going around yeah so and then you know we get back with socal approach and they're like what's the reason for the go around it's like well you don't want to sit there and have an argument like, well, yeah. late handoff. When we changed frequency with SoCal approach, they were giving a, a Centurion uh, a clearance, an IFR clearance. Yeah. So that took like a minute before we could check in. You kept us yeah. high. We were 4,000 feet over yeah. what we wanted to be for the profile when you finally cleared us. Yeah. You know, we didn't say any of that. Right. So we just yeah. said unstabilized approach. Yep. Which then kind of irks me a little bit because I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not some rookie here. That's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I felt you, kind of, uh, yeah, uh, not an interrupt, uh, not a uh, interrupt your story, but we've had this happen before on the seven, three, seven. And it was pretty much the same exact scenario you were talking about. Oh, really? And, uh, when, 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 uh, we announced our, our, uh, go around, um, you know, of course they gave us, you know the proper atc directions and when they said hey can you say to the reason for your go around he's the captain chimed in and he said unable at this time but i will require a phone number from atc so i can file an asap <laughs> <laughs> and then so he's like roger that here's your phone number so and he's like yeah we'll call you when we get on the ground uh, we request the vectors back to uh the airport uh vfr so it, I'll tell you about the, I'll tell you what he told me afterwards, but anyway, oh. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the, the issue is, you know, Palm Springs is, I think it's class Delta airport. It's, it's a relatively small airport. Yeah. Um, and they're used to like corporate jets going in there. They're used to GA airplanes and CRJs. Cause there is a, a heavy CRJ presence there, uh, or regional jet presence. But dealing with a relatively full 321 that doesn't slow down and go down very easily, it's not like it has much drag characteristic. 
uh, until you're completely configured. It, it's tough to just slow down and go down. And if controllers are not used to that, and I don't mean to sound like I'm throwing the controllers under the bus, but if they're not used to that, what they see in their mind as, okay, I'm asking them to do this and they're going to comply with it. I don't think they're used to that, you know, heavier, bigger airplane very often. And now the seven, three, did it have a pretty good drag ratio there? Uh, no, it it was like the year I, I got to admit the Airbus is a lot more slick than the seven, three. I think when it comes to slowing down, it's, it, it's, it's a lot harder to slow down and get down on the Airbus than it is on the seven, three, but the, uh, the seven, three still had, you know, it's, uh, um, challenges for slowing down and descending at the same time. I mean, we, we, that's why I said we had the same issue going into, uh, Palm spring on the seven, three, we, we learned to slow down way, way outside of the 30 miles from the airport, just because we knew we we're going to have to start configuring. And, but yeah. I mean, you did, you did everything you were, you thought you were supposed to do. I mean, you're not, I'm not blaming you. You didn't make any mistakes. It just that, yeah, you know, the, the, with everything that happened, it was exactly what happened to us, you know, yeah. just late handoffs. And I was going to say the, the, the explanation was the um, Palm Springs radar is they, they're a TERSA terminal radar service area and their, their um, controlled airspace. This is the explanation from the controller. Also their airspace starts from the ground up to 10,000 feet. And that's for, because of their radar limitation. Okay. So when you're on with SoCal, I think it was SoCal or LA, L, uh, Los Angeles Center coming in, they can only clear you to like 11,000 feet or something like that. Right. So they, and they, so they can't hand you off <laughs> or clear you lower because that's not their airspace below them. And they can't hand you off until um, Palm Springs takes over. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they accept the handoff, then they can clear you lower. Well, obviously they were not. <laughs> they were they weren't ready for you so yeah. which is what happened to us they weren't ready for them so um you know that that created the unstabilized you know you were basically on setting up for the unstabilized approach um 30 miles away <laughs> yeah yeah and, right? and even with all that i still and, and see that's the weird thing is when you're used to going into an airport like say chicago Los Angeles, JFK, all these airports, you're used to, you go 250 knots below 10 until they tell you otherwise. And if you slow down without a controller telling you to slow down, you're going to get yelled at. Absolutely. And then here you go into an airport that you haven't been into for a couple of years, if not a decade, and you're now not being told to slow down. So you're just putzing along at 11,000 feet doing 300 knots thinking, okay, they're going to give me lower soon. And then when I started realizing they're not giving me lower, let's ask for lower. And I started to slow down with the, And I was thinking they might yell at me for slowing down. Yeah. But what I should have done, like you mentioned, is know that they weren't, they don't really, you're not really yeah. their major problem. Cause yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. they don't really care. And so I yeah. should have either asked for slower Slow right. down knowing that they weren't going to tell me to. Yeah. And then I could have gotten configured earlier. Right. Even above 10,000 feet, I could have gotten configured and really had a lot more drag. So I could have accepted and known that they were going to slam dunk me. Yeah. Or give me a steeper than usual path to the aircraft, to the airport. 
And even the flight attendants, we were on the hotel van afterwards, and the flight <laughs> attendants have flown in there quite a bit. And they're like, yeah, we were taking bets to see if we were going to do a go around because normally when you turn towards the airport, you're really, you can see the windmills really close because yeah. you're really yeah. close to the windmills. That's another thing that you got a lot yeah. of terrain obstacles, like a bunch obstacles, of windmill yeah. towers there for banning pass. And they're like, yeah, we were, we're like twice as high as we normally are <laughs> coming in there. <laughs> Even they knew. They knew. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And, yeah. and so, yeah. you know, the captain made his PA and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we did a go around. We do apologize. They, uh, and he didn't blame anybody but us. He was like, yeah, um, you know, it just was what we called an unstabilized approach. We were a little too high. So we're going to come back around, uh, make sure it's safe to have a nice, safe landing. So. You know, bear with yeah. us. We'll be on the ground in about five minutes. And yeah. sure enough, you know, we got vectors back around, back onto that um, RNAV visual approach, even though it was VFR yeah. and beautiful day. Mm -hmm. But I was like, let's just get vectored back on. So they did. And, um, you know, it wasn't too much nice. of a, an issue. But those airplanes you that You did were, the right thing, man. Well, thank you. You did good. Thank yeah, you. That, it, it was a little embarrassing, but... Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Hey, listen, I crunch. Actually, I, I didn't mention this in the opener, but I crunched one in the Phoenix the other day. I mean, I swear, I thought the wingtips hit the ground. Oh, when went, you know, from the I know flex. you're exaggerating, but yes, okay. Yeah, it was, a, it was an exaggeration. <laughs> but it, it really, I really did. I, I it was a, my first nighttime landing in a long time. And uh, I just misjudged the flare. I mean, I, I think through. You know, when the, the oral unit called out 30 feet, I was still just trucking along. You know, it didn't didn't touch the <laughs> didn't oh. touch it at all. And then when I pulled back the, you know, when it, the thrust levers, when it called out retard, which I normally do it a, a little bit before. Um, then I was like, oh, shit, I need to start flaring. <laughs> and by that time, I think I actually flared the back end of the airplane into the runway. And it was just like, boom, it was right on a thousand footers, though. So I'm kind of proud of that, but man, when, when we, uh, cleared the runway, I looked at the captain. I was like, Hey man, you forgot to tell me to flare. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, so you got to get the third wire on that one. Yeah. I got the third wire. Yeah. Got the third wire. Yep. <laughs> pulled up, pulled into the gate and I was embarrassed to even open the cockpit door. <laughs> I know. Right. I I, I've had a few of those. We all have, you know, and, and I, I was like, Oh God. And the captain's like, open that door. And I want you to stand there and say goodbye to every single passenger. <laughs> Thank you for oh, flying with us. Thank you for flying with us. Yeah. I had a couple passengers. Are you a Navy guy? Yup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm not. Passengers coming off, holding their neck. You're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> my my favorite my favorite uh, thing was uh, when I was uh, pretty early on in my career, I had one of those. I mean, uh, we all do. It happens. Yeah, we do. You know, and, and and I had one of those, and you can hear the flight attendant PA through the cockpit door mm -hmm. over when you're on the oh. one seven oh one forty five on the Ember. Right. And uh, and I heard the the flight attendant go, well, ladies and gentlemen, after that landing, I am sure your items have shifted. So please do take extra care when you're opening your overhead bins because that stuff is all jacked up. And I was yeah, like, oh, God. yeah. Or they say, well, after that landing, there's no doubt that we have arrived at Chicago. <laughs> yeah. After. after uh, Commander Maverick <laughs> picks up the tail hook <laughs> off the back. 
we taxing to the to the gate with all the pieces of the airplane intact <laughs> yeah my only my only redemption was you know as we came back around you know yeah. i told the captain we'll talk about this one he's like yeah sure he said you did the right thing you made the right choice i mean you did your best they kept you high you know and i was like okay thank you for saying that you know he was being kind but the second the second go at it was right on all the altitudes it was super smooth yeah. i hand flew the whole thing and when yeah. we touched down the airplane went <laughs> yeah there you go nice because it's not really a hard approach to fly it's just no. that when you start off at a disadvantage and you're trying to you know play catch up man it's play catch up it's really hard to do it on this airplane and, and every other big airplane that i've flown into that airport and and i would it's the same thing if you go to any other airport and you're trying to do the same thing you're you're gonna have a a heck of a time trying to do it right within the parameters that right. are set forth in our manual. So, yeah. And did yeah. you notice hey, when dude. I was giving you the description that uh, I performed a soft go around? Soft go around. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Go around toga, climb, climb sick, mm -hmm. go around flaps, positive rate, gear up. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Soft nice. go around is when instead of going to the full extent of the thrust levers in the toga position or takeoff and go around right. position full where you're going to get maximum thrust so right. full maximum thrust now if you're low to the ground single engine single engine you have no. a critical terrain straight ahead yeah. you know or you're it's a weather related issue like wind shear or thunderstorms or wind shift or sinking or you go toga that's it leave it to toga yeah. get that power get up to acceleration altitude as you know quickly as you and can what does toga mean for take off and go around average. thrust take off and go around there yeah. you go take off and go around thrust so what we're authorized to do at our carrier is to do what's called a soft go around which they prefer if you don't have a critical need to clear terrain in the first or second stage of the climb mm -hmm. so what we can do is we go to toga that sets the flight management system into a path that has been predetermined when you loaded the approach to give you guidance laterally and vertically mm -hmm. and missed approach guidance yep. the missed approach is a cycle from a landing to a go around uh, and you're going to get uh, the logic of the aircraft going oh this guy's going around so you know you're going to get your takeoff and go around but if you don't really need all that power because you're, I was high. I didn't need yeah. all that power. So I went right. to Toga and then. You're probably you high said, and already fast. We're so high and we fast, right. <laughs> so as soon as he said Toga, I brought it immediately back to climb and he said climb set. That's called a soft go around. And then we went through the rest of the minutia of the call outs right. and the litany. Yeah. Oh, nice. So yeah, that was, that was that's, my last That's trip. good, man. I, I, yeah, that, that's fun. I, I like hearing go around stories because, you know, that, that reinforces, you know, in me the faith that, you know, our, our decision making, um, you know, when, when it comes to stuff like that, when you're unstabilized or, you know, the, you know, making the landing zones in doubt that the go around, and it should be that way, it should be, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go around no matter what if we can't yeah. do it. And it's going to be a, it's like a perfectly normal, maneuver for us and we yep. do it all the time in the sim it's just you don't do it all the time on on the uh you know on the line yeah and um because i mean you don't you you shouldn't have to but you need to be ready to do it yeah and in the US, and i like to talk have... it through on the oh. go-around considerations when we brief it because mm -hmm. i'm still new to the airplane so i still kind of say hey you know for my you know own you know affirmation and training purposes because i only have 200 
I think 300 hours in the airplane now is I'm going to tell you, uh, this is how we're going to do a go around, you know, you know, go around toga, go around, uh, climb, you know, go around flaps, pause rate gear. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of walk through it myself out loud so that I can hear myself and maybe he can correct me if, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, you're supposed to do this for, oh yeah, cool. Thanks. You know? So yep. I do that for the, um, like if I haven't done a go around in a while, I'll do that at least once a trip. Yeah. If I forget, you know, every other trip, I'll do the full right. briefing. The other briefing yeah. that I like to give is our normal takeoff configuration on the aircraft is one right. flaps one. Right. Sometimes when you need a little extra performance, flaps two take off. We do yep. those. We do those still quite as often. What you don't do very often is a flaps three maximum performance <laughs> takeoff. And if you fly into like Lahui, you're probably going to do yeah. a flaps three takeoff on departure. Yeah. So wow. what I do in those situations is I do the same thing. I brief a flaps three takeoff and then we're right. going to, you know, so you're going to say pause rate, you're going to say gear up. And then as soon as we have an airspeed above this, we're going to call for flaps one. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go from three to flaps one. And then if right. I said something wrong, the captain will go actually, you know, so, but anyway, so we brief it. time to get it out of the way now. Yeah. yeah we have, we briefed it now uh, in 20 minutes, we're going to do it. When you do a go round and you're landing at flaps full, and you pause at a rate, gear, gear up. up, and you're on to go around flaps. Actually, before that, go around flaps. Right, go around flaps, yep. So you go flaps up three. one notch. So if you're at full, you go to three. If you're at three, you go to two. Yeah, two. And then once you have, you know, pause rate. pause rate, gear up, and then you start, airspeed starts to bring up, and you bring it above uh, at that F point. F-speed. F-speed, or, yeah, F-speed. Yep. So then you go flaps one, and then. One. Flaps, flaps up. up. So take off checklist. It's different. Yeah. And if you haven't done one in a long time since your last sim session, then it bring it to the forefront. Talk about it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's what good CRM is all about. Yeah. Yeah. Good conversation. I right tell you there, what man. though, man, I was sweating a little bit because I haven't done one in a while. I mean it was, it was all yeah. smooth and everything, but you know, yeah. the heart starts to beat, the adrenaline starts to pump. I felt like Lieutenant Stryker. Sound your alarm bell now. All right, now everybody, get crash position. Yeah, With you're ready to go, man. Down. Yeah, that's 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 not a bad feeling, man. That's that's you were you knew what you had to do if the if it came up, and you're ready to go. I mean, that's called spring loaded. Yeah, I mean, you you were uh, the you know the worst case scenario is having to go around when you're unexpected. When I sh- I shouldn't say it this way because it's it you should always expect to go around in a be- in a situation you're not ready for, but seriously and you know if everything's going perfect and all of a sudden you have to go around like a you know wildlife on a runway or airplane crosses a runway or or just you know an ecam that pops up that you're just unsure about like brakes right. or something like that which happened to me when you know it, it was a long time ago in chicago i think i've told the story a couple times on previous podcasts but you know those go arounds when they pop up sometimes they catch you by surprise and you're just like What's it doing? We're doing it. Yeah, we're, we got to go. We got to go around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah. It, you did good, man. That, that's Thank just uh, anxiety. That's just the uh, expert in uh, preparation coming out in you. You're ready to use it. And here it is. It's it's yeah. <laughs> that pent up energy, like we talk about travelers, was used for the go around. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And we'll be right back right after the break.
And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. <laughs> you know, and I mentioned uh, Lieutenant Stryker, and, and I actually had one time, uh, I was giving IOE to a new hire back at my, my Stamp Hyper days. And this young guy comes in the cockpit, doesn't have a kit bag, nothing. Just shows up with his EFB and a checklist in his hand. And he had his aviators on his head, and he's like, all right, let's go. And he had a pen in his pocket. And I'm like, do you have a kit bag? He's like, no, I don't need a kit bag. Everything I need is right here. It's all electronic. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we start, you know, talking and flying, and he did, he did, he did well. And I, I said something. Like I picked like I picked the wrong smoke. He just sat there. Stone face. And a little while later, you know, something came up, we we're talking, and I said, I picked like the hell of a day the wrong week when I'm fetamates. And he just <laughs> yeah. stone faced. I'm markers, like, you yeah. know from airplane? He goes, Oh, is that that film that everyone tells me I should watch? <laughs> That's right. I remember you telling me this story. I'm like, you're not an aviator. Unless you've seen the movie Airplane. Give me your wings. You can, yeah, give me your, <laughs> instead of give me your man card, you give me your certificate That's that it. you are not qualified to be in an airline pilot without seeing the movie Airplane. Yeah, the movie Airplane <laughs> from the year 1980. Now, this film was actually first going to be called Flying High. Uh, yep. It was a 1980 American parody film written and directed by David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrams in their directorial debut and produced by John Davidson. It stars Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty and features Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Lorna Patterson. The film parody is one of a disaster film genre. You know, particularly the 1957 Paramount film, Zero Hour. Now, I knew that the film was a copy or a parody of another film. Now, at the time, Paramount owned Zero Hour and they, they also made the movie Airplane. So they, so mm -hmm. it wasn't really a copyright thing. It was just a parody. And the film is one of the funniest and absolutely cult classics for aviation. It uh, was a commercial success. It grossed yeah. over $171 million worldwide, and it only had a budget of $3.5 So, you know, all the characters received Writers Guild of America Awards for Best Adapted Comedy, Golden Globe Awards for Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and the BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay. I mean, this was on par with some of that Monty Python stuff that we were seeing yeah. back in the 90s. Now, the, I won't get into the detail because I think everybody listening to this podcast has seen the film at least once or yeah. 20 times. Captain, how soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. No, I mean, I'm just not sure. Or can't you take a guess? Well, not for another two hours. You can't take a guess for another two hours? No, no, no. I mean, we can't land for another two hours. Fog has closed down everything this side of the mountains. We've got to get through to Chicago. But what I did want to talk about is this film was based on a movie from 1957 called Zero Hour. And yep. I've heard this in my past, but I've never really seen the film Zero Hour. So for, I think it was $4.99 or $5.99, mm -hmm. I bought the film on YouTube and, <laughs> and watched it last night. Um, it, it's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. It's not a comedy like right. Airplane is. Very serious movie. It, it's a serious <laughs> film. But 
it definitely had many funny scenarios that uh -huh. the movie Airplane copied either line for line, word for word, and made it comedic, um, yeah. or they uh, just had these kind of features like the scene where the woman's freaking out in the back of the airplane and they're taking right. turns slapping her. <laughs> Right. Can you imagine that in a serious context? A real airplane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the actual name Stryker. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it really? In there? But he's on the he's on the airplane with his wife and son who were leaving him, and he followed them to the airport like a stalker and got on the airplane. And then after they were airborne, oh. he just said, "Hey, please don't leave me." And mm -hmm. yeah, he had all this drama from the war. Um, yeah, it's a. That's I mean, it's a movie. little cheesy in the middle. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. It's an old uh, movie. It's an old film. Uh, but this yeah. 1957 drama film directed by Hal Barlett uh, from a screenplay by author Haley, Hal Barlett and John Champion. It stars Dana Andrews, Linda Darnell, and Sterling Hayden. It also features Peggy King, El Elroy Crazy Legs Herschel, or Hirsch. Why would you have crazy? I don't know. It must have been his like Delta Chi name. <laughs> Jeffrey Toon and Jerry Paris in their supporting roles. The film was released by Paramount Pictures and is it's best known for the fact that it is the the original of the movie Airplane. So if you haven't seen it, definitely worth a watch. Put yourself in this man's place. Aboard a transcontinental plane, suddenly half the passengers, including your own son, are struck by a paralyzing deadly illness. And then in the midst of the panic and confusion, the stewardess tells you to come forward to the pilot's compartment. This is what you find. A pilotless plane running wild in a stormy sky. Can you fly this airplane and land it? No, not a chance. You're the only chance we've got. How could he fly a plane again after the horrible experience that had sapped his courage and ruined his life? But only he, among all the passengers, had any chance at all to save them, even though it was one in a thousand. This is Cross Canada Charter, flight, flight 714, in distress. Come in, anyone. I want you to get on a horn and talk this guy down. You'll have to talk him onto the approach. And so help me, you'll have to talk him right down to the ground. I'll take, I'm going to have to watch it. Now, here's the funny it. thing. And I learned this after I watched the movie. I was doing a little bit of research before the show today. Mm -hmm. Did you know that there was an actual mass food poisoning incident oh, in real life? That. It occurred wow. on a Japan Airlines flight in February of 1975, which 197 people fell ill. Unlike the movie, the pilots on the Japan flight had not eaten contaminated meals and were therefore able to land the aircraft safely. As a result of the incident, however, rules were implemented requiring pilots to eat different meals prepared by different cooks to, pre uh -huh. to prevent the entire flight deck crew from becoming incapacitated. Well, there you go. That's so, where our... It's all written in blood. Well, in that case, they must have all eaten at that restaurant. What's it called? Aubon Pain? I mean, Abdomen Pain? <laughs> <laughs> Call it yeah, if you're going through LaGuardia, you want to yeah. be careful about that. <laughs> I used to like getting, they used to have really good soups there. Oh, they probably yeah, I used still to go do. there all the time, man. I go all the time, get soups, chicken soup. Between there soup. and Chipotle's uh, issues that they've yeah. had in the past, the Chipotle. Oh, yeah, with, this, with the lettuce and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but now yeah. we know that that ruling 
uh, that yep. FAR has been removed, was removed, uh, what, last year, year before? Uh, so right. now it's not a requirement anymore. So if that's not a requirement anymore, Rob, how come we yeah. still only get like one omelet in the morning <laughs> and the other person has to eat like a cold sandwich? So options. I mean, options? Just to give us options. <laughs> so you're looking over at the yeah. captain. He's eating the omelet. It's like hot eggs and sausage. And yeah, like he's greasy. Like, oh. yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. am I making a mess? Sorry about that. Meanwhile, you're having a I yogurt know. and a blueberries. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this, yeah. this is great. The, Thanks, yeah, Scott. this, what do they call that? A uh, a bagel sandwich or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty bad. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I I I like that the food is back, but I quickly got into the rut of like, oh, I, this again. Because yeah. it, it's you have you know if you fly the same times around the same time of day every day, you get mm -hmm. the, pretty much the same meals. Um, the only yeah. time only time I see is if you fly out a different different uh, hubs sometimes they give you slightly different variations of it which is kind of nice but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and if yeah, roger was here he'd be giving us a really hard time right <laughs> he'd now. be going crazy right now <laughs> well we've been talking with rob about missed approaches and unstabilized approaches and mountainous terrain and all this stuff and all the stress that i personally went through on my last trip. I mean, it was not a big deal, but it was enough uh, that I felt that it was maybe a learning tool for this uh, episode. So here we are uh, talking about unstabilized approaches and things and mountainous airports. And yesterday I decided to take the family out for a drive and we went up to Big Bear. Now the little road trip, it wasn't a very long drive for me from my location. Big Bear is oh, about an hour drive, you know, on these mountainous roads. Uh, the weather was fantastic. It was nice and cool up there. And I've never been to the Big Bear Airport, which is L35. So I thought I'd go and check it out. Now, what's really interesting is anytime you fly into Los Angeles, you pretty much fly over Big Bear, either on the Angel Arrival or the Hollywood One Arrival or whatever it is now, Hollywood Arrival. And, you know, you look down, you know, it's a beautiful, pristine lake and, you know, it's it's the little gem of a hideaway for Southern California. And I thought, well, let's, we haven't been up there in a while. Let's, let's take the drive. So we took off, went up there and the first stop was uh, L35. And they have a nice little airport up there that I went and drove around it and there's a bunch of little cottages and houses that have their yards back up right up against the airport property. And I thought, man, that'd be a cool cabin to have. What'd you do this weekend? I was up in my property in Big Bear watching airplanes take off. So yeah, don't don't get any ideas, guys. <laughs> so that's that's what we did. And if you look at bigbearcityairport.com, you can learn more about this mountainous airport. It has a elevation of 6,752 feet. That's right, a field elevation of 6,752 feet. What I learned is that a new airport terminal is being constructed, and this thing is gorgeous. Now, this new terminal is going to cost the city about $18 million. Compared to wow. rebuilding the existing terminal, which is older, out of date, it would have cost them $10.8 just to bring it up to code. So for an additional $7.2 they get a whole new terminal. Um, and 
this maintenance costs of a new terminal are very low. So uh, in the long term, they're going to be saving a lot of money. Now, there are plenty of approach and departure procedures going into this airport. It is surrounded uh, by mountains. And so if you're deciding, hey, I'm going to take a flight up to Big Bear and land on runway eight, make sure that you understand the procedures. Uh, and I'm sure that it will be a fantastic experience if you have the means to do so. Very cool. Now, compare in comparison, you and I used to fly up to Sedona. Yes. With students all the and time Flagstaff. out of Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Flagstaff. Sedona, mm -hmm. in comparison, 4,830 feet. Mm -hmm. Now, we used to tell people, don't go in Sedona in the summertime unless you know that you can take off because you might be able to land, but your oh, yeah. density altitude might be more than the aircraft's capability. Right. And you're going to be taking off on top of a mesa with surrounded by mountains, and you might not have the performance. Can you yep. imagine what it's like at an airport at 6,752? Yeah, that's uh, it's high density altitude for sure, especially in the uh, summertime. I imagine some of that density altitude's got to be upward 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet, some points. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I remember, I remember taking students to Flagstaff in the summertime in a Cessna 172 SP. And I would make sure, I think I told you that told some of our viewers this story in another podcast, but I'd secretly clear it with their family um, behind their backs because we were going to be there, stuck there pretty much all day. But I would end up going up there in the morning and, you know, plan a VFR cross-country flight with them up to Flagstaff. And we, I remember we used to cruise at about 8,500 feet up to Flagstaff. Now, Flagstaff is elevations it's around 7,000 feet. I think it's pretty close to 7,000 right on the money. So the pattern altitude for, you know, single engine piston airplanes is usually 1,000 feet um, above field level. So if you're cruising from Phoenix area, which, you know, the um, MSL area in, in Phoenix is about 1,100, 1,200 feet, and, you know, you climb up to cruise altitude to get the Sedona, uh, to get to uh, Flagstaff, but some of the MEAs are really high up there. So you're usually cruise along 8,500 feet, and then they have to descend into the pattern altitude, which is 8,000 feet. So you're only descending 500 feet <laughs> into the pattern altitude. Um, you know, that should be their first clue that you're, you've got high altitude airport and, you know, the density altitude's also a killer. So, uh, you know, just for, for giggles, I'd say, Hey man, just, you know, give us full power and see what kind of performance you get out of your airplane in the pattern, you know, and, and there really was not much of a change <laughs> in performance because you're almost, you know, so you're probably 75% power. You're, you're not much there. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm like, Hey, I just, you know, if you, when you come in the land here, you, you definitely want to be, you know, stabilized and, you know, hitting your aiming point. You don't want to land long. And if you have to go around, you need to make that decision early. <laughs> so we'd land, taxi off, and you know, go go to the bathroom or whatever, get a cup of coffee, and then turn decide, you know, turn around and think about heading back. But before we head back, I I'd ask them, hey, let's just do a little performance planning before we uh, <laughs> take off. Yeah. And they'd start doing the calculations. Of course, it's already you know 90 degrees up there. It's 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And they come to find out, 
you know, in a Cessna 172, I think you need about 5,000 feet to take off already <laughs> and, wow. and at that altitude. Yeah. And your climb performance is like 300 feet per minute or less. Oh, my God. And you're looking at the, uh, you know, the tall pines at the end of the runway, which, you know, they're really 50-foot obstacles for real, you know. Um, and I'm like, yeah, if you screw something up, you know, you're not going to be able to clear those trees if you don't lean out the engine properly. You know, with the yeah. fuel injected engine, you know, you're not going to get maximum performance out of this airplane. So I said, is it really safe to take off? He's like, no. I was like, well, there you go. There's your cross country density altitude lesson. Um, you know, don't forget this because you're going to want to go to the Grand Canyon. You're going to want to go to Flagstaff. You know, if I didn't teach you this lesson, you're going to bring your family, put four people in an airplane, luggage, and then you're going to go to take off and not think about performance. Yep or give it little thought and next thing you know you end up as a uh, bad statistic statistic yeah at the end of the runway yeah and so. those kind of lessons you never forget because you know it's one thing yeah. when somebody tells you yeah you want to check this you want to check that and then you can't make the numbers work and you're like well i must be doing something wrong let's go <laughs> right exactly but when you go yeah. and you live it and yeah. you're like oh okay that explains it yeah. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I still an think about it all the time. I mean, you find these uh, heavy airplanes, you know, they're not heavy, but you know, they're, they're, you know, 180,000 pound airplane taking off out of uh, Mexico city yeah. at 7,000 feet. And you got rising terrain in the direction of your flight. And uh, you know, you realize that man, you know, even in a high performance airplane, like, <laughs> like an Airbus, or a 737. Yeah. Um, Takes a long know, time it, to accelerate. It's serious stuff. Yeah. yeah it's absolutely. Accelerate and climb. So anyway, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, I also wanted to talk about uh, an event that happened just a few days ago. November 29th marked an incredible anniversary. Just 68 years ago, on November 29th, 1953, American Airlines introduced its first Douglas DC-7 November 305 Alpha Alpha into transcontinental service. I saw this article from airwaysmag.com and it was written by Lee Cross on the published date of 29 November 2021. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, the great thing about this is I had just, you know, talked about airplane. Uh, I was getting ready to watch the, uh, the film that we just talked about zero hour and here i am looking at now zero hour had i think a dc4 depicted in the film this is a dc7 but still the dc7's inaugural flight was operated from new york's idlewild airport to los angeles international by doing so american airlines became the first airline to provide non-stop transcontinental service in both directions twa had begun non-stop eastbound service in october Indeed, the DC-7 was built to meet American Airlines' requirements. The airline had requested that Douglas build an airliner that could compete with TWA's Super Constellations and fly coast-to-coast -coast in around eight hours. Mind you, eight hours was the limit that pilots could fly without rest. The plane maker was initially hesitant to build the airliner until AA placed an order for 25 of them. This covered Douglas's development costs for the aircraft. In AA's service, 
the DC-7 was configured initially for 65 passengers, all in first-class configurations. As more examples arrived, the airline expanded its Transcon offering, and by the end of 1954, three nonstop flights per day were offered between New York and LAX. The DC-7 was a development of the DC-6B and had major advances over its predecessor. This included being the fastest aircraft in service at the time, cruising at a top speed of 360 miles per hour, or 580 kilometers per hour. However, the introduction of the Boeing 707 and the Douglas DC-8 jetliner put an end to the DC-3. AA retired its final DC-3 in August of 1962. The airline operated 34 of the original variants and 24 of the upgraded 7Bs. So here's some tidbits of use, useless information, not, not quite the DC-7 stuff, but you mentioned Idlewild Airport. You know the history behind Idlewild? No. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I just ran up the stairs. Idlewild. You know what airport that is now? John F. Kennedy International Airport. Are those the... Okay, so Idlewild turned into JFK after the huge remodel. That's it. There you go. That's all I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to give me a huge history lesson yeah, here. I usually try to, but that, that's, uh, that's all I got for you. So, Rob, you sent me this fantastic story from yeah. the Bowery Boys, the New York City history. And we'll put mm -hmm. a link in the show notes. So Idlewild is the airport that has been renamed to JFK. That's and right. let's talk a little bit about this. All right. So John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, was memorialized in dozens of ways following his assassination on November 22nd, 1963. One of these are the more vital to the daily lives of New Yorkers than John F. Kennedy International Airport or Kennedy Airport or simply JFK. Uh, you may not realize how quickly it was renamed for the fallen president. On November 15, 1963, President Kennedy left Idlewild Airport after a short stay in the city. Six weeks later, that airport would be named after him. New York joined the nation in mourning the uh, morning following the televised funeral of President Kennedy on November 25th, 1963. Thousands watched the ceremony from a large television screen hanging in Grand Central Terminal. Traffic stopped in Times Square and Boy Scout buglers played taps from atop the Hotel Astor. All airport traffic at Idlewild stopped at noon. The calls immediately rose to memorialize the president in the city. On December 4th, less than two weeks after Kennedy's death, Mayor Robert Wagner announced that he would submit a bill to the city council to honor Kennedy with the name change to Idlewild. Unfortunately, these ultimately successful calls to rename New York's largest airport came at a cost of obliterating the memory of another noble American. Idlewild was the popular name for the airport which opened on July 1st 1948, because it was built upon a former golf course and luxury accommodation of that name. According to the Times, 
The name Idlewild is believed to have been inspired by the fact that the site at the time was wild and that the hotel and park constituted a recreational facility for the idle rich. But its full name was New York International Airport Anderson Field, named for Mayor General Alexander E. Anderson, a decorated World War I veteran and Queens businessman. Unfortunately, Anderson had a few proponents fighting to keep his name on the airport by 1963. The following week, in an, act, in an action marked by solemnity, 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 and silent prayer, the city council voted unanimously yesterday to change the name of New York International Airport at Idlewild, Queens, to the John F. Kennedy International Airport. It was revealed then that city officials wished to name the airport after Kennedy even more quickly than that. Indeed, the idea had been unofficially suggested hours after Kennedy's assassination, but it had taken the extra time to get the official approval from his widow, Jackie Kennedy. Obviously, the article goes on and on and on, but um, it's a pretty cool story. Yeah. You know, and thank you for bringing that. I'll, I'll put a link yeah. in the show notes to this article. Um, you know, and I, I knew the yeah. story that JFK had a big um, name change, uh, and obviously after yeah. John F. Kennedy. And I knew it used to be called Idlewild, but I hadn't heard that in so long. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. fantastic that. You know, yeah. here we are, we fly in and out of places, and we just really don't know much about the history. I just had a great idea. Uh, I think maybe this is something that uh, we should do on future shows is um, take a look at any one of the, the various airports that we fly into. And, and if it has a you know, particular name, let's research the, uh, um, you know, the name and the history. You know, like we all, we know that, you know, O'Hare the acronym is ORD, but, you know, ORD has nothing to do with O'Hare. So what does that mean? You know, it's, it's because it used to be called Orchard Field and Orchard. What was it? It was an apple orchard before it became an airport. So that's why they call it Orchard Field. And then renamed after named O'Hare after I forget was, I think it was a Navy pilot. Butch O'Hare. Thank you. Airline pilot. We got another airline pilot in the corner over here. Fantastic. Which, by the way, we're going to interview at some future point. But um, yeah, so that'd be a good idea for uh, future shows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I like it. What do you think out there listening? Uh, let us know what you think. We'll definitely get on that. Now, before we kind of wrap it up today, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about album art and show titles. Now, we don't really talk about that. Um, but every single episode that we produce here at Squawk Ident has its own unique album art. And that album art I create usually on my iPhone while I'm idle uh, between you know editing and recording. Um, and we'll find a photo that best suits the topic. And I will use a few different apps to create this album art. Now, if you're listening on Apple Podcast Players, you're probably not going to see it. So you'll either have to go to aviatortony.com and click on album art or click on the episodes and you'll see the album art there. Um, or you can, if you have a podcasting 2.0 app that you're listening on, then like Spotify even uh, will have the unique album art or album cover for each episode. Tell us what you think. 
Uh, I, I really do appreciate the feedback to see what you know looks good and, and what people really relate to. So that's how you can find them. Um, as we bring this uh, flight to an end, I would just like to say thank you to all of you for coming along with us on this journey. I also want to thank Rob D for joining us today. Rob, always a pleasure to share time with you. And uh, what's the rest of your Tony. week uh, looking like? Uh, I can start a uh, three-day backed up by another three-day trip uh, tomorrow. Hmm. So six straight days of, of uh, crossing the country in a metal tube, 30-something thousand feet in the air. Um, kicking off the holiday travel for for me and um, just uh, like my, like I always say in all my, my podcasts, it's a lot of volleyball. First tournament starts next week. Oh, yeah. So that's the reason why I got to back up two trips back to back so I can have next weekend off. So, um, yeah, just excited to do that because uh, high school season's done. Now we're transitioning into club season, which is uh, a lot more fun and, and there's a lot more uh, competition. So, yeah. 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 And I just want to say thank you. Uh, for all of you that have been sharing this podcast online and with your friends. And we have to say thank you so much to a new executive producer for the show. Captain David Ortiz has become an executive producer with his monthly contribution. Thank you, sir. Well appreciated. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, number Yankee.com. There you'll find audio archives, photos from the flight line, the guest book photo tabs, our Squawk Ident pilot shop, and you can also pick up t-shirts, hats, mugs, and much, much more. You can also contribute to the Squawk Ident show financially right from the homepage. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us on Squawk Walk Ident Podcast. Also, a big thank you again to Rob D for joining me, and thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. We have something here for our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? Do you want me to check the weather, Clarence? No, why don't you take care of it? Joey, you ever hang around the gymnasium? Do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs>